The only network. The only network. The only network. The only network. Hooking you up with the hottest Christian hip hop and R&P. Holy Culture Radio. What's good with it, fam? You are now locked in exclusively to Counterculture. I'm so privileged to be your host today. My name is Pastor D.A. Horton, and I am humbled to be the lead teaching elder at Koinonia Bible Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Counterculture is the evangelistic outreach ministry of our local church, and it is all of our heart's desire at Koinonia to make sure that we can do all that we can to present saints worldwide with a solid biblical answer for the cultural issues that plague us at large. And you can find out more information about our local church on the World Wide Web at www.kbckc.org. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns that you would love to be addressed on the Counterculture Show, feel free to hit me up directly at dahorton at kbckc.org. Ladies and gentlemen, let's take issues of the culture and filter them through the lens of scripture. Let's chop it up and get it in. Peace. Grace and peace, fam. Welcome to episode number one of Counter Culture. Yes, uh, man, so much ground to cover and so little time to do it in. Let me go ahead and start things off right by opening us up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have collectively all across the world to pause right now and identify you to be sovereign, to you to be Lord, and you to be master. And Father, I pray that everything that is discussed, Lord, would be empowered by you, God the Holy Spirit, and that Christ, that you would be exalted through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your finished work that you accomplished on our behalf that we could never add or take away from. And Father, it is my heart that there are two people, two groups of individuals that will be listening in to this podcast today. The first of those who know not the affections of your heart. And I pray to them, Lord God, as we deal with the exclusive reality of salvation found only in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, I know that the gospel is an offense. I know that the cross is an offense, according to Galatians 5.11. So I pray, Lord God, that as I stand in the shadow of the cross, that you would be honored and glorified through the proclamation made through boldness that says Jesus is the only answer for our sin sickness. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would couple my boldness with your supernatural ministry that only you can do. And Father, I also bring before you the second group of individuals, those who do know the affections of your heart, those who have embraced and made profession of faith and have been born again, all because of what Jesus Christ did on their behalf. To them, I pray that they would be encouraged, edified, and empowered by your ministry, Holy Spirit, to stand for truth unashamedly and proclaim that your word is the absolute authority for their faith and what they believe and their practice and how they live. Use me today for your microphone to amplify your agenda and your heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So yes, y'all, um, we are now back in the saddle exclusively working through this ministry called Counterculture. I have been hit up over the year asking what happened to the podcast, what happened to didactics with D.A. Horton. A few things. Number one, um, I want to come clean and say this. It was my heart's desire to have a ministry via the internet that would encourage saints and equip them with quality Bible teaching that is contextualized through the heart language of the hood. I mean, that's just to be transparent. And the reality of it is that I began to see things kind of backfire from that. Um, people began to say, yo, man, like this is the only solid teaching I'm getting. 
Uh, yo, without your podcast, I would be lost. Yo, um, man, I praise God for what he's doing through you. Don't stop. There's no church that I'm plugged in. And that really hurt my heart. Um, I, I, not, not at the individuals that were saying that, but I felt that I have failed us as a movement um, that I would say obviously is this young and unashamed movement. Um, and I, the reason I felt like I failed us is because I felt that I should have been more inclined with the ministry of the local church. I mean, everyone knew about Truth Bible Fellowship and the church plant that we had started, but I was not as, um, if you will, vocal on the front end about the necessity of being plugged into local churches. But then in addition to that, identifying healthy local churches um, all across the United States uh, for those that were making inquiries, for those that have been overseas that have hit me up from Kenya to South Africa um, to Australia to the UK, Finland. Um, yes, I am. it is my heart to make sure that I can do all that I can to network with solid believers who stand for the truth of God, that have shepherd's hearts, that can reach out and shepherd and disciple uh, the listeners of this podcast. And so the reason that I pulled the podcast Didactics with D.A. Horton down was twofold. Number one, because our church, Truth Bible Fellowship, the plants had just merged with New Hope Bible Church. And my attention, my focus, my heart needed to be with our local body. In addition to that, when I felt and got permission from the elders that there was a sense of stability amongst our local body, uh, that I would then venture out to do another podcast, but this time that would be grounded and rooted under the auspice of our local church. But in addition to that, not only would my podcast be a ministry of the church, the reality of it is, is that I would be working in partnership with a network of healthy churches that are theologically conservative, that are contextually relevant, in addition to that, missionally engaged with their immediate community. And I praise God that in his grace, I've been able to partner with Dahadi Lewis of Blueprint Church in Atlanta, uh, my man A.T. up in Flint, Michigan with Damascus Road, and my homie Larry Grays down in Midtown Bridge in Atlanta. And collectively, we are seeking to um, put a network that is right now in its infancy, a gathering of such churches that we love to see with those same attributes, theologically conservative, missionally engaged, contextually relevant, um, all across the United States. And ladies and gentlemen, it is my joy and my privilege to introduce to you some of y'all for the first time and others like a reminder of the Rebuild Initiative. Um, Koinonia Bible Church is a proud partner with the Rebuild Initiative, and the Rebuild Initiative is seeking to multiply urban leaders with gospel-centered ministry. And you can look at our website at www.therebuildinitiative.org. And we have a roundtable coming up in Atlanta, which is uh, March the 28th and 29th. I would love for you to be there. We're doing one out in Los Angeles in September. And ladies and gentlemen, like I said, with this podcast, um, I'm going to be extremely more vocal on specific issues than I was previously during the didactics episodes, um, primarily for the simple fact of our culture needs truth. Um, our culture needs to empower the, the, the participants of the, the urban church, mainline evangelicalism, any Christian, uh, we need to empower the believers to take a stance on God's word and not be scared and not cower back anymore when people ask us questions like, is homosexuality a sin? Why do you not endorse same gender marriages? Is the morning after pill chemical abortion? 
Where do you stand in light of church discipline? Uh, what do you think in regards to secular hip hop? What is the state of the union, if you will, with Christian hip hop? Uh, why are there not as many minority pastors out there uh, doing the things of God under the pretense of teaching the word of God just with sound doctrine? I mean, all these issues, man, um, we're going to have to begin to address those. And I will get to that later on in the podcast uh, and taking a stance on specific issues that people have hit me up over the past year uh, regarding uh, various theological nuances that people want to know. Um, and so with that, again, uh, it's not arrogance, but it is a confidence in God's word that we possess. It would be different, y'all, if we as believers were sharing our opinions on issues, um, but we're not. When people are asking point blank is homosexuality a sin, we need not to be scared of the cultural pushback and say, well, I believe. No, man. Say God says and then go from there. The Bible says scripture reminds us and then give your answer, because if you were giving your personal preference, you can easily be refuted and you can be entangled and trapped when it comes to the rhetoric and the pushback uh, from the culture at large, even within um, mainline evangelicalism and the urban church. And so that's where we have to make the word of God our absolute authority in faith and in practice, in what we believe and how we live. Uh, so I think that there's much comfort, y'all, in the shadow of the cross when we stop cowering away and begin to put our eyes back on scripture and begin to be faithful students of God's word, parsing Greek verbs if we have the ability to do so, looking at the languages, wrestling with them, looking at the context of the passage and identifying the black and white principles of the passage, looking, okay, so the Bible doesn't address this specifically, but what about the hearts and intentions of the individuals that are asking the question? What does scripture say about someone's heart geared towards abortion what does the scripture say about internet pornography though those things are not mentioned overtly in scripture so that's where we do have to begin to understand the reality of the condition of the hearts of our world and quite simply um, we were all born in sin our hearts according to Jeremiah 17 9 are incurably sick meaning that none of our self-medicated uh, choices that we make in life whether it be through the methods of good works donating uh, becoming a mason um, uh, giving to the Shriners uh, whether it be church attendance Sunday school attendance whether it be seeking to hide in the pastorate um, in, in being a sinner all of those realities do nothing to change the condition of our heart our heart is terminally ill we are spiritually dead we don't need to become better people we need resurrection and that only happens with the ministry of the Holy Spirit who then supernaturally does what the proclaimer of the gospel cannot do. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to regenerate, to make a dead sinner become born again as God has granted him repentance. And we see that beautifully articulated uh, in such passages as John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 25, uh, again the Jeremiah 17 9 passage. Um, so the reality of what regeneration looks like being born again is something that we see in John chapter 3 verses 3 through 8. And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, all of that to say, that's why didactics with D.A. Horton was taken down. Uh, I wanted it to, number one, be more uh, local church scene. So I wanted my name removed from the title. Uh, and, and just, and I'm going to be, uh, yo, I'm, I'm going to keep it 100. Like, it's not, I'm not doing a, a self-righteous move by removing my name from the title. Um, I want 
people to know, oh, counterculture. And when they look it up on the web, it goes back to our local church. Um, that's my heart. I have a, a traveling worship band um, that is made up of members of our congregation. This is not their primary ministry. This is a secondary ministry for them. They're all serving in various ministries, whether it be our worship team, uh, whether it be Awana, uh, whether they're serving as a deacon or a deaconess, um, that is their primary ministry. This traveling worship team is a secondary ministry, whether it be uh, the prophecy conference that we're going to prayerfully look to hold in our church. And when I say prophecy co conference, let me, let me again qualify that. It's not putting oil on our hands and praying over people. It is saying, what does the scriptures teach about the end times? What is the rapture? What is the second coming? What is the tribulation? What is Daniel's vision uh, of the dream in Daniel in chapter 9? What does that mean? Uh, what, what, what about the book of Revelation? What, how can we, instead of being scared and intimidated about going line, up, line upon line through Revelation, why should we embrace biblical eschatology, which is a study of the end times? And again, I think the answer for that is found in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, that he who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure, realizing that biblical eschatology, the end times, that's nothing, nothing we should be scared about, y'all. We need to embrace the scriptures that teach that Jesus Christ is literally, visibly, and physically returning for his people. And with that, we need to live like he's returning, especially in the midst of a world that is now celebrating extinction parties for December uh, 12th of uh, 2012, later this year. People are like, yo, if we're going to stop existing, let's just go hard and let's go all out. That's the culture of our world, y'all. And as believers, we need to make noise for Christ at the same time balancing that with living quiet and peaceable lives like what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, so again, this is counterculture. It's a ministry that is seeking to encourage and equip saints worldwide to get out there and make noise for our God, to represent him well, to seek to live holy and pure before the Lord. Um, so I thank you so much for bearing with me in grace. I thank you so much for bearing with me in mercy. Thank you for following up. Thank you for praying for Quinonia Bible Church. We're a year into the merge, and God has just been doing great things, y'all. I am seeing marriages that were broken, healed, and restored as people are renewing their wedding vows after divorce. I am seeing the reality of individuals who were, who were out there in sin that have heard the gospel. I'm seeing people that were raised in the church for over 40 years, y'all and their mothers as their pastor and their grandmothers as their pastor turning their heart over to Jesus Christ and they are saying I need you Lord and for the first time in my life after four decades of living in complete sin I now turn to you because it's never too late and ladies and gentlemen I am so excited to brag about my God we are a multicultural ministry, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-subcultural. And the reason that I stress that to people is not because of the, 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 the lead teaching elder. It's not because of me. It's not because of how our sanctuary looks. We don't have multi-campuses. It's not because we have the newest lights. It's not because our worship team performs hip-hop. They don't. We don't. <laughs> our time together is probably uh, really traditional for a lot of people that are my age, and they may be turned off. But the reality of it is, is that we have a board of elders that are seeking to live out the qualifications found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, and we are engaged in the lives of our people to the best of our abilities. We are accountable to our spouses in every area of our life, especially in the area of sexuality. In addition to this, we are seeking to disciple the men in our congregation and teach them to do the same thing to the young men in our congregation. And we make 
mistakes and we're and we're men enough to admit that we make mistakes and there's poor choices that we make and we're man enough to say Lord we have failed you and we did not use discernment we did not pray enough when it came to this decision and we live life as open books before the congregation and ladies and gentlemen I have seen 75 year old to 80 year old men come up to me who I'm only 31 and they say I have no problem with you being my lead shepherd I have no problem with you being uh, you know one of the elders and there are elders younger than me y'all our youngest elder is 26 and our oldest is 76 and the beauty of all of this is because only God can put this together this is not the master plan of D.A. Horton this is what Jesus Christ promised to do build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail so ladies and gentlemen I am not saying that our church is the only church that is actively engaged in these uh, types of uh, miraculous things taking place and when I say miraculous again let me qualify that seeing sinners transform through the proclamation of the gospel with the ministry of the Holy Spirit and they become saints when they embrace what Jesus did on their behalf. That's the greatest miracle that we, we need to be searching for in our day to day. And so with that, um, man, I just stand so encouraged before you completely uh, looking at, at the world through a different lens than what I what I did even before under the ministry of didactics with D.A. Horton. So I stand encouraged. I stand ready. I stand just passionate about giving the rest of my life, man, as a drink offering poured out for anyone that would be encouraged through the ministry of what God is doing in our local body and praying that it would be an infectious passion that goes out through every download of a podcast, every conference that I speak at every concert that I'm a part of everything of that that we would have a united network of individuals that love God that study his word that are engaged in ministry in their immediate communities that they're going on missions trips whether it be the barbershop around the corner or whether it be to Zimbabwe the reality of it is is that we are living like we know our God and we are studying his word and when people ask us about our faith we can give them an intelligent answer and ladies and gentlemen that that is the heart, that is the philosophy, that is the mission of counterculture. Now I'm going to pause for a moment for station identification, and when I come back, we're going to plow right through rapid fire style through the questions that I have amassed over the year uh, that I've taken a hiatus from podcasting to address them and to be very bold and very honest with the questions that I have received so that, prayerfully, you then will go to God's word and say, okay, I hear what DA is saying, but what does the scriptures teach? And my prayer for you is may it never be said by your mouth, the listener. Yo, but DA Horton says, please don't say that. Azriel says, please don't say that. What I want you to say is, yo, you know what the Bible tells us? God in his word told us. The scripture reminds us, please premise your answers to question with that. Put the focus back on God and the authority of his word. Let's pause for a few moments of station identification and then let's get in with these questions. I love y'all, man. It feels so good to be back. I pray that you'll be encouraged by the remainder of this show. Check this out. Hit you off with, with the, the newest, newest Christian hip hop and RP. Holy culture. 
Welcome back to Counterculture. I am privileged to be your host. My name is Pastor D.A. Horton, humbled to be the lead teaching elder at Koinonia Bible Church in Kansas City, Missouri. And this is Counterculture's very first pilot. This is our pilot episode, episode number one. And the title of this episode is Set It Straight. I have amassed a lot of questions via email, Facebook, uh, text messages, phone calls. Uh, people have dropped in visits, if you will, man, just to chop it up and holler about specific topics. And I want to address rapid fire, if you will, uh, as many questions as I can in this first podcast to kind of just set it straight out the gate so cats know where I'm at. Um, again, I pray that the Lord would be magnified and the gospel would be proclaimed. Uh, I'm not looking for controversy. I'm looking to contextualize truth, man, so that cats in hoods all across the world, suburbs all across the world, will hear that there is a voice crying out, if you will, uh, amongst others. I'm not the only one, but amongst others that will stand for biblical truth in this day of uh, relative thought, in this day of social gospelism, uh, which basically says meet a physical need without addressing the spirit spiritual need of the individual. Uh, here's the reality. Um, one question that I'm often asked is, Pastor Damon, is Jesus the only way to be saved? And it's a very simple answer. Yes, Jesus is the only way to be saved. So let me again now clarify what I mean by that. The reason is, is because now the pushback then, so you mean to tell me that a Jew who is devout to Judaism, when they die, will they not inherit eternal life? And the reality of that answer is consistent with what I said. They will not enter into eternal life because they rejected the God-man Jesus Christ being Messiah. The reality of it is if they have no sacrifice for their sin found only in Christ Jesus that was sufficient enough to absorb an eternal sin debt in a matter of hours on a cross, then no, they have no payment for their sins. So they are opting for a payment plan that says, I will now absorb what is rightfully mine throughout all of eternity for the wages of sin is death is what we read in the scriptures. And so the reality of that then is not my opinion. It is what Jesus Christ himself said. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the reality of it is, Jesus is not saying he is a way to God. He's saying, I'm the only one, the only way. I am truth personified. Jesus Christ is not only the way, he is the door. So the reality of it is, is salvation is found only in Christ Jesus. So again, to clarify what I'm saying is if someone is devout to Hinduism and they reject Jesus or accept him to be one of many and not the exclusive way to the Father, will they inherit eternal life? No, if they have not embraced the reality that Christ is the only way, this is what he said. I am just simply reintroducing to the conversation of culture at large. Yo, Jesus Christ has already declared this. This phrase, he says, I am, answers a follow-up question that I often get. Did Jesus ever claim to be God? Yes, this phrase in the Greek, go on me, is literally emphatically translated from Greek to English, I, I am. He is emphatically saying, I'm God. In addition to this, he says, he is the way. The Greek speaks of a road or a route of travel, and Jesus is saying exclusively, I am the singular, only way to the Father. He's the truth personified. John 1.1, 1, 1, he's fully God, essentially, eternally, and equally God. This now brings up the reality of the elephant room, too. Will people denounce modalistic monarchianism? And cats should. They should say, I am not associated with that camp if they are not embracing the false teaching uh, that says... Jesus is a manifestation of God. No, he is fully God, eternally God, essentially God, equally God. He is still God, has always been, will always be, as is the Holy Spirit, as is God the Father. Simultaneously, they have always existed and will always exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need not to shy away from this truth that is revealed in Scripture. Jesus added to his full deity, full humanity. 
This is what we call the incarnation. John chapter 1, verse 14. He put on flesh like we put clothes on. Hebrews 6, 18. It's impossible for God to lie. Jesus is God. Everything he declares is the truth. We should not be scared to declare this in boldness. And when people give us pushback and say, are you saying then that a devout Muslim their whole life, they are wrong. And if they don't embrace Christ as the only way to be saved, then they will then go to hell, even though they're a good person. And that's where the answer is. Yes, that's what we are saying. But let's now work with this definition of a good person. What is the definition of a good person? Again, now, now we're de delving into the subjective, but let's look at the objective scripture. And what scripture clearly says, our first father, Adam, who was our federal representation, he fell into sin. When he fell, we all fell. This is the reality of Romans chapter 5. When he fell, verse 12, Romans 5, then guess what? Sin and death entered into the world because of him, our federal rep. Now, we have all been infected with this disease. It's been in our genetics since we were conceived in our mother's womb. Psalm 51, 5. The reality of it is that we're spiritually dead. Not, not, we are not spiritually comatose. We are dead. This is the reality of Ephesians chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3. We're totally dead, totally depraved, therefore totally dependent on God to save us. And so Jesus Christ is declaring that, yo, I'm the only way for you to have life. You are dead spiritually without me. And this is why Jesus says that he is the life. He's fully God. He is the possessor and the giver of life. John chapter 1 verse 4 and him was life and the life was the light of men John 5 21 is he raises the dead and gives life to them even though son give life to whom he will John eleven twenty five. 25 I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he may die he shall live first John 5 20 we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true his son Jesus Christ this is the true God and eternal life Nowhere else in scripture is anyone identified with being the source of life outside of God and Jesus Christ is fully God. He is the giver of life. This leads us to the safe conclusion that no one outside of scripture is the source of life outside of Jesus Christ, y'all. And based off of the syntactual structure, the Greek phrasing, Jesus' second phrase, we can conclude that the statement, if you would know me, is best translated, it's been resolved and understood, you know who I am and absolutely you know and believe that I am the Messiah. Now, the reality of that is that Jesus Christ and those who embrace the testimony of what the scriptures, what John the Baptist, what the Holy Spirit confirms, what Jesus himself confirmed is that he is the only way to inherit eternal life. He will give eternal life to those who embrace him and his finished work and what he accomplished on their behalf that they could never do. So if we're spiritually dead, we have to understand that according to John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. That we are not saved by good works. We are not saved by our bloodlines. We are not saved even by our own desires and will. Because we are bound into sin from the time that we are conceived in our mother's womb. We are completely spiritually hopeless. There is no inner spark of redemption inside of us, y'all. The reality of it is, is we are totally dead, totally enslaved to sin. This is why John chapter 1, 12 and 13 is so powerful. It says, for as many as received him, he gave them the right to become sons of God. And this privilege did not become given to us because of our bloodline. It's not by blood, not by flesh, nor the will of man, but by God. We are completely dependent on God to save us. And the agency of his plan of redemption is culminated in Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament saints, they put their trust in what limited revelation they had at that time of God's plan of redemption 
And the reality of it is, is that God attributed their sinful account to Christ on that cross just as much as everyone who would embrace the gospel of Christ when we see the full revelation of God's redemptive plan found in the personal work of Christ, just as much as our sins were paid for on that cross, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's the same thing with the doctrine of forbearance for all Old Testament saints. So this is a follow-up question, Pastor Damon. I know your dispensationalist. How many ways are there to be saved? And hey, it's one way. It's through Christ. And here's the reality. We are all saved by faith. That's the beautiful answer to that question. We're all saved by faith. Old Testament saints, saved by faith. Saints during the church age, saved by faith, y'all. But through the means of grace for this particular time of redemptive history. That's the answer to that question I often get. Cats are saying then also in John 14, this helper that Jesus talked about. Is that Muhammad? This is what Muslims are saying. Yo, no, Jesus is not prophesying the coming of Muhammad. Let's, let's really take a look at that, okay? For the first time in John 14, Christ is really big up in the disciples' love for him. And normally, he demonstrates love and commands people to love. But now he says, if you love me. So now he starts like, yo, let me, let me, let me ask y'all. Y'all really love me? Keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Now, this phrase, if you love me, has a condition. It's basically saying, if your love for me is true, it'll be demonstrated by your obedience to my commands. Now, Jesus now prophesies in this same passage the coming of the helper, who is God the Holy Spirit. The Greek word helper means legal assistant and advisor, one who would testify during a court case. Jesus explains the helper will be one who comes alongside those who believe in Jesus and comforts them and encourages them and assists them. Now, Muslims claim that this is Muhammad. Now, let's see if this is true. Jesus is saying the helper is, one, the spirit of truth. The helper will communicate only truth, nothing of falsehood. So now let's go ahead and take a look. The scriptures declaim that the Holy Spirit professes that Jesus Christ is eternal deity. He is the giver of life, that he died and resurrected. All of this testified by God, the Holy Spirit. The Quran, which is Allah's revelation to the prophet Muhammad in Surah 4, 157 and 58, said, Then they shall boast, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of God. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them. And those who differ there are in full of doubts, with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow. For a surety they killed him not. Nay, God raised him unto himself, and God is exalted in power, wise. So the Quran is claiming that Christ was not crucified, but rather he just ascended, where scripture says otherwise. And the Holy Spirit testifies to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now, hold on, now there's... One of two conclusions we come to. Jesus was out of his mind when he was calling the helper the spirit of truth because if Muhammad is the helper, his revelation from Allah should have been complementary, not contradictory to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or number two, Muhammad is not the helper just because this is one falsehood and it highlights the fact that he's not the spirit of truth. Jesus also said the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now the world re will, excuse me, the world will reject this helper. Okay, they're not able to physically see him. Muhammad was a literal, visible, historical figure who lived and died Jesus promised the helper would indwell those who believe in him literally positioned inside of the believers now there is no biblical passage or passage in the Quran to my knowledge I could be wrong that says Muhammad will live inside of people after Muhammad's death he was buried and that's the reality the Bible tells us that God the Holy Spirit is the one who indwells believers this is seen in Romans chapter 8 verses 9 through 15 
the Quran tells us the Holy Spirit is the angel of Gabriel. Now, again, this is a huge contradiction. So, no, Jesus Christ is not prophesying the coming of Muhammad. He is saying that this is the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, equally God, equal to myself, equal to the Father. This is what he is declaring. This is what he is prophesying. The ministry efforts of God, the Holy Spirit, after Christ has ascended to the Father, after his mission's work was fully completed. Kind of to switch gears, one question I'm often asked, Pastor Damon, do you endorse women pastors? No, I do not. The follow-up question, why? <laughs> the answer, easy. Because the scriptures don't. That's why. I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm trying to be very clear with this reality. Let's just take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses uh, 1 through 7 but primarily on the first verse it says it is a trustworthy statement now Paul is about to go in and he is premising the truthful statement with this Greek phrase that he has used earlier and basically is saying this is a timeless truth I'm about to drop on y'all okay it will not waver to the changes of the culture and he says if any man aspires to the office of overseer it's a fine work what he desires to do now let's pause the first word man this is a noun and it is written in a masculine reality this is not a neutered noun it is a masculine noun it's not feminine it is not neutered so it's not leaving us to guess well is he addressing both and or is it exclusively one gender the answer is it is exclusively one gender if a man it's in masculine in the Greek aspires to reach for something externally to set his aim on something in the next phrase overseer the word is used to describe one's leadership and management ability so this title bishop overseer elder under shepherd pastor this is all the same office Paul is describing and if a man aspires to that office Paul is saying yo that's good that's not a bad thing yo and then he says it's a good thing he desires this word for desires is an internal passion a drive or an ambition Paul is saying a few things number one this calling from God is given to men and men if when God calls and places that desire in your heart that is not a bad thing yo we live in a culture okay especially in the urban context where the culture looks at the pastorate as being not a real job something that anyone can do or even a fallback plan if plan a doesn't go through with college and your first job and things of that nature but the reality of it is is this is a calling from god and our culture not just in the urban context but in mainline evangelicalism but also in the secular culture at large has minimized the pastorate back in the history of academia in our country there were three major areas there was medicine, there was law, and then theology. Now, the reality of it is, is that our context will look for a good lawyer if we're in a legal bind. And if we need a procedure done on us, we will look for a doctor, not one cat that has just looked at episodes of ER or just feels the unction to just dig inside your innards and look for something. You wouldn't trust a cat like that. But yet, if one does not have theological training, if one does not meet the biblical qualifications, we will embrace anything that someone will say if it makes us feel good and if it sounds right and that is horrible we would rather be better stewards with our legal record and in addition to that with our physical being rather than our soul man that will live on after this life and that's why I challenge cats when they say yo what about Bible college do you have to go to Bible college that's not within the biblical qualifications no but is it wise absolutely 
Of course it is wise. The reason it is wise is because it didn't take me until my last semester of my senior year in Bible college to realize I am sitting in a chair receiving an education that the majority of the hood will never experience. I am learning on behalf of the community that I am in the future, Lord willing, going to shepherd. I need to do all that I can to seek to learn how to study the word of God. In addition to this, practice good hermeneutics and not just learn cliches, but learn how to dig into the text and come out with something that is edifying to the people of God that does not compromise the text of God's word and then communicate it to them in a heart language that they can understand so that they can have aha moments when they hear the word of God explained to them so that then it would translate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit actively involved in their lives after the sermon stops, after the last amen has been said, after the closing prayer, that it would result in life transformation, a transformed person who is transforming by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, that reality then collected with other saints with a like mind and a like attitude towards the scriptures under healthy teaching that are missionally engaged in their community, that translates to change communities. It's not always about gentrification and government funding, y'all. It's about the condition of the heart of the individual. And I would pray that we would receive that in wisdom. Now, I'm going to pause here for a station break, and then we'll come back and close out with a few more questions. The undisputed heavyweight champion of Christian hip-hop and R&B. You want to know who it is? Holy Culture Radio. Keep it locked. Welcome back to Counter Culture, fam. I am so humbled to be your host. My name is Pastor D.A. Horton. Privileged to be the lead teaching elder at Koinonia Bible Church here in Kansas City, Missouri. And I want to kind of pick it back up where we left off before the brief break. Uh, and one scripture that is often tossed my way in light of saying that men only are uh, allowed to work through the qualifications and serve in the office of elder, uh, people will toss out Galatians 3.28. And that's one of the questions that I was going to address. Pastor Damon, what do you do with Galatians 3.28 regarding men only for the pastorate and not to be sarcastic not to be cynical um, but we do with Galatians 3.28 is what we do with every other passage in scripture that we seek to uh, interpret and that is interpreted in light of the immediate context Um, and so the reality of it is is in Galatians 3.28 it says there is neither Jew nor Greek there's neither slave nor free man there's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ now this whole context Paul is dealing in, in, in expositing the wonderful beauty of salvation to the saints in the region of Galatia this is not dealing with the office of the church this is not dealing with roles and function if you will within church leadership this is specifically dealing with the context of salvation so if we're going to deal with Galatians 3:28, we deal with it and interpret it within its context and the context is speaking of salvation so if, uh, a, if a non-believer whether he is male or whether she is female whether they are Jewish or whether they are non-Jewish which is the whole world's population uh, whether they are slave and they are bound by debt if you will to a debtor or whether they are the one who owns slave owners and again this is in the context of the region of Galatia in the first century uh, so the reality of it is is no matter your race your ethnicity uh, no matter your socioeconomic background no matter your gender if you hear the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and your heart has been stirred by the ministry of God the Holy Spirit supernaturally uh, the reality of regeneration will not be withheld from that individual regardless of their gender their race or their economic status that's what the context is talking about it is not talking about the pastorate it is not talking about ecclesiology it is talking about salvation so if we are going to misappropriate uh, misappropriate that passage 
into the uh, forcing it into the pastorate or identifying women are qualified to serve as elder, that interpretation is wrong. Okay, I'm not scared to say it. That interpretation is wrong. Uh, so often, uh, individuals will then give pushback. Well, then, can women then be CEOs? Can women be president? Again, we have to look at the context of what Paul is addressing. Paul is not addressing praxis for the business world or the secular system. He is specifically talking about ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, the study of the church. The reality of what he is going in on is he is countering, especially in 1 Timothy, issues that were arising in the church in Ephesus uh, as he was giving instruction to Timothy, uh, who was the undershepherd, if you will, the overseer uh, at that time for the church in Ephesus. And what he is saying, and you look at the whole premise of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is found in verses 14, 15, and 16. He is saying, the whole reason I'm writing this letter to you is that I plan on visiting you, but if I'm delayed and I can't get to you in time, yo, here's here's how the saints ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. So that's the reality. That's the thesis statement of 1 Timothy. So it's all about ecclesiology. And he's saying, this is what healthy ecclesiology looks like. Uh, so often people then say, well, what do you do with 1 Timothy chapter 2? Uh, women and their role in teaching and things of that nature. And the reality of it is, is you stay consistent with the literal historical grammatical interpretation of that passage and what that looks like then is that um the men again are to be the ones who are the teachers within the corporate assembly uh when they come time to exposit the scriptures what paul was saying was actually revolutionary for that day it's for the simple fact that ladies were not allowed to dig in with the torah and the reality of it is, is that when you look at the scriptures and you look at the context of what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, ladies, this is actually liberating because you're allowed to learn side by side with the men uh, and hear the exposition of the scriptures broken down to glorify God. And so that you can, in your faith, be edified by the breaking down of the scriptures. Uh, so the reality of what that looks like also is that Paul is not bound by culture. He is not bound by academia. He then usurps both of those by going over that and saying, here is the creation order that God has set in motion God created man then he created woman so the reality of what that looks like you can't use the argument well hey man you know women were they, they weren't allowed PhDs okay amen that, that that's true back then they were not and now they earned them and amen to that that there's no problem with that um, then people will say well then women can be more gifted than men and hey you know what they can be very very dynamic communicators and amen to that uh, the reality of it is though you cannot bow uh, what the scriptures are clearly saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the agency of Paul in that context. And the reality of it is, no matter the education, if Paul were using an educational argument uh, to say that, yo, this is why women can't teach because they lack education, then yes, absolutely. Now we can say, yo, they're qualified academically. But that's not what he said. Uh, it's not even the case of their giftedness. Paul is not basing it on giftedness. He is not basing it on education. He's basing it on the creation order of God, which still stands to this day. So the reality of that is that yes and amen uh, when we recognize the pastorates uh, this is why uh, I and neither do the, any of the elders of our congregation endorse or ordain women elders it, it's, it's an oxymoron it, it's not biblical so that's the reality that we have to learn uh, to then take and look at the scriptures study them and not make them bow to cultural pressures or advances if you will in other disciplines of study we need to make sure that we are good students of the word before I move on I want to make sure I definitely address this because uh, so often when it's yo man this is a negative type of a conversation uh, that, that I'm having I want to make sure that we put in a positive light um, because you know ladies I most 
definitely believe that the Holy Spirit, obviously, if you're a believer, he has distributed gifts unto you, spiritual gifts. I believe that women are talented. Amen. I'm not saying that they're less less talented than men. I'm not saying that they're less gifted. That's not at all what I'm saying because that's not what the scripture says. However, I think that we need to do a better job at empowering our dear sisters by pouring into them and then allowing them to serve as God has commanded them to serve within the context of the local body. And in regards to teaching, in regards to, um, if you will, living life on life formally and giving didactic instruction yeah ladies need to be given that opportunity for that to other women this is why in Titus chapter 2 verse 3 through 5 older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children to be sensible pure workers at home being subject to their own husbands so the word of God will not be dishonored yeah ladies you have a biblical command to live life on life with each other with formal didactic instruction centering on those biblical principles and those biblical principles personify when they're lived out biblical womanhood so we need older saints older women to pour into the younger women to show them yo younger sisters that are single celebrate that gift of singleness that God has you with much grace mercy and compassion and give all that you have for God to serving in the local body to evangelistically engaging in your community expressing the gospel through your lips and through your lives in addition to that young ladies uh, that are married man learn to love your husbands man as, uh, unto the Lord and, and 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 you have children man man love your children the way that that these older seasoned saints can just pour into you and say yeah this is how you discipline this is how you work through this yes the kids will break your heart yes I know what it's like to be frustrated yes I know what it's like to have an unplanned pregnancy and yes sister this is why you need to appreciate this gift from God like those are the conversations that need to be having this is why I love the conversation that is centered on the scriptures not on gossip it's centered on the gospel it's centered on ladies this is what it looks like and you're hearing it from other ladies that can personally identify with the unique nuance nuances of womanhood and they can give you a biblical perspective in that all of that is what it's commanded to go down and so again just to recap and close out this issue uh, Paul was not addressing because I want to make sure I answer it Paul was not addressing can women run businesses can they be president he was not addressing that so there obviously is no biblical chart excuse me, biblical charge against that uh, reality. Um, you know, if you deal with, well, conference speaking and things of that nature, again, uh, those are some specific nuances that Paul is not addressing in that particular context. Uh, the other aspect then, what do you do with Deborah? She was a judge, and this is a judicial position within the nation of Israel. And yes, that was uh, under a former time in redemptive history, and that is not applicable to uh, the current piece of redemptive history that we are in right now which is the church age the age of grace and so that is not even applicable for this particular context today so the vibe the bible is very clear when it speaks upon that issue uh we need to make sure we have a balanced approach when we answer by showing yes uh women you can most definitely have opportunity to serve as far as teaching and yes do it under the uh beautiful instruction of uh, titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 when it comes to pastoring no that's that's not a biblical reality and then we love and we go forth and we keep it moving and a lot of women say but if there's no man to preach that's why i say hit us up we will definitely put you in contact with local conservative bible colleges and seminaries because they have pulpit supplies and some men will travel up to 200 miles on a sunday to fill a pulpit so we need to alleviate that excuse 
issues from our culture. So just want to make sure without beating a dead horse that we understand that's what I am seeing the scriptures to teach that this is for men alone. And the final question that we're going to deal with today is, um, Pastor Damon, if you could give an assessment of the state of Christian hip hop, what would it be? And I believe that things are going well, if you will, uh, in some regards. Uh, the Lord has definitely opened a lot of doors uh, for this uh, this medium of ministry to now get more recognition, to now get a larger platform where more people are considering uh, the renderings of uh, of gospel rappers. Um, in addition to that, though, there's some there's some detriments, man. There's some red flags that we have to be made aware of. Um, just as now with the advancement of technology, anybody in a mama can be a rapper. Literally, you just go to Target, you buy a program, get a microphone, get a computer. You can put out a mixtape. You can put out a CD. I mean, so anyone can rap nowadays. So that's not the real issue. Uh, the real issue is not even it's lyrical substance, but at the same time, man, it's 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 poor ecclesiology amongst our context, amongst our culture. Um, many many of us. Um, my, my homie Miguel Davila, man, um, the executive director of Reach Life. He's about to be a church planter in Hampton Roads, VA. Uh, big ups to the homie Miguel. Uh, he put it bluntly, man, and he put it very well. Um, he he hit it he hit it right on the head when he said a lot of us come from dysfunctional families, and within our context, even though we're saved, our movements has a lot of expression of dysfunction. Just because we don't know how to deal with conflict, we don't know how to resolve conflict, and so what will happen is you will have different camps and different sects, S-E-C-T-S. Uh, different individuals that will then click up here, click up there, click up here, click up there, um, and just continue to roll forth with ministry. Um, I think the reality, man, of what we need is not just a cry for unity. I think what we need is healthy ecclesiology. Because if we are if we are committing ourselves to local bodies, uh, and we are serving in our local bodies, seeking to serve the people of our local congregation before we hit the stage, before we hit the studio, before we write that next song, but making sure that we are using our spiritual gifts as the Holy Spirit has distributed to believers. Uh, and here's another thing: is the reality of man we're, we're weak on teaching on the spiritual gifts, man, in our context. Um, I really think that what we really need to do is sit cats down and say, look, man, uh, as a movement wide, we need to uh, the both the rapper and the participants of the uh, quote-unquote young and unashamed movement of the whole movement that we have going on people need to understand the reality of who the church is and what we're to do and the reality of spiritual gifts man we should not run from that teaching it's a biblical reality and the thing is is that the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes gifts to every believer but here's the thing the gifts are not given so that the individual can be edified by the gift the Holy Spirit gives to them that's a false teaching that has held our culture hostage for decades in addition to that, God is not more big up, if you will, um, in his own uh, esteem by seeing us use the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are distributed by the Holy Spirit to the believer for the edification of the saints in the local body. So we have to learn the difference between spiritual gifts and talents. And the problem is our context is focused more on the person's talent versus their use of the spiritual gift with the heart of edifying the saints in the local body. Um, so I think that we need to be more vocal about that. We need to hold more people accountable. Uh, yes, amen, do the work of evangelism. We all need to do that as believers. We all have the same job description from the from the most seasoned pastor uh, on this side of eternity to the youngest saint uh, who just uh, professed faith in Christ. We all have the same job description. It's the Great Commission to make disciples. But, yo, the problem is, again, like what Paul Washer said, is we spend five minutes on conversion and 20 years on discipleship. We are trying to disciple sinners to become saints, and the reality of it is is they never met Christ. So we need to spend more time on biblical conversion 
conversion. We need to spend more time making sure that people understand the gospel, they can articulate the gospel, and we are seeing life transformation as we are walking them through the scriptures on a consistent basis. Um, in addition to that, uh, I see some parallels between our movement and previous movements, such as the Jesus movement. Um, the Jesus movement had this music genre called the Jesus music, um, and now we know it affectionately as contemporary Christian music. So the main source of mainstream Christian music, yeah, that used to be called Jesus mu music uh, back in the uh, the mid-70s. And the reality of what I'm seeing is there's so many parallels, so many unique realities to that. And I think the biggest detriment to the Jesus movement is that there was not a lot of healthy churches to plug in a lot of these ex-hippies into. Uh, so what they did is they embraced Christianity on a superficial level, many of them, uh, by their own profession. And they ex accepted escapism and easy believism. And then when the trials of life came in, they abandoned the faith uh, or they used salvation as a bucket list item. I got saved when I was in college. And uh, yeah, man, now I got to focus on my career. got to focus on my job, got to raise a family. And they really don't have a heart for the things of God anymore. So we have to make sure that we do not repeat the mistakes of the past. And again, it points back to the healthy local church. And that's why uh, the voice of authority in our context needs not to be the rappers. And I'm just going to be honest. And I think I have the grace to say that as both a rapper and a pastor. The voice of authority needs to be the word of God. And the one who is to express that is to be the local pastor. And the reality of it is, is that, yes, and amen, the uh, the rappers are giving excellent, uh, you know, um, theological truths through their music, excellent evangelistic tools. And amen, that should not cease. We should continue uh, to keep the gospel in gospel rap. But the reality of it is, is that we need more pastors to step up and be more vocal to complement the movement and to actually begin to lead and shape and, uh, if you will, uh, take this movement, man, and put their hands on a plow and begin to guide with seasoned wisdom and discernment uh, the young and unashamed movement. We need more indigenous pastors to do this. Uh, this is why I love to spend time laboring about big up and cats who feel a sense to go into the ministry, uh, especially uh, vocationally through the pastorate, because everybody named Mama wants to be a Christian rapper today. When I, when I go to different conferences and different contexts, yo, man, I, I put out this mixtape and I'm like, man, praise be to God. Amen. That's perfectly fine. But I wish, man, I I wish that just 10% of the people that want to rap, man, would begin to say, you know what? I feel God has called me to the pastorate. And what do I do next? Is there, can, we, can we chop? Can we build? To them, I would say, amen. I need more of you. Uh, because, yo, I put a blog out years ago called Too Many Rappers, Not Enough Pastors. And I still stand behind that title. Um, the reality of it is is that again um, it's easy in our day and age to just put out a mixtape it's easy in our day and age to have a heart for evangelism and amen I praise God for that I'm not going in on Christian rap I'm not doing that but what I'm what I am exposing is the non-balance that is in our movement we need more pastoral guidance we need more shepherding uh, we need more indigenous cats that are from the block rap or no rap it doesn't matter that they are expositing the scriptures in context and speaking in the heart language of the community that they are planted in and are pastoring in and the reality of that is is that we need more rappers to take the lead and take the charge and point to 
their local pastors, not their podcast pastors, but who their local pastors are. And they need to be more vocal on how this is how I'm serving. This is how I'm serving in the local congregation. This is how my spiritual gift is being used. If it's teaching small groups, to God be the glory. If it's discipling young people in the church, to God be the glory, man. Like we need to be more vocal on showing the necessity to be locked into a local body. And so that when people say, yo, man, there's not a healthy local church in my context, in my city, in my community. Yo, then you then then cats put people up on game on the rebuild initiative and say, yo, man, here's here's what they're seeking to do. Holler at them, holler at Dame, holler at Dahadi, man. Get it, Larry. Get it, At. And that way they can see what they can do, man. To 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 put your city on the map to say there was an urgent need right here, man. So if if we're putting on an all point bulletin, yo, if someone is desiring inner city church planting, urban church planting, holler at us, man, because we have identified a city that is in great need and we need biblically qualified men who have a support team to go into these cities and begin those works that is what our movement needs that is the greatest detriment is that we are failing in ecclesiology in our movements um, we will go to conferences 10 times a year we will listen to podcasts 40 times a day and the reality of it is is we have become divorced from the local church and again I'm speaking in a general context not specifically every individual but this is normative of what I'm hearing and seeing when I go to the legacy conference uh, when I go to various different uh, spots, man, that I'm asked to preach at, is that people have the same story. Yeah, man, right now I ain't got no, I ain't got no church, man. I ain't got this, I ain't got that, or it's way out in the burbs. Then, yo, get plugged into that church in the burbs, man. They need diversity out there as well. Um, don't forsake the assembling of the brethren, yo, for the fact of. All of my cultural nuances are not met. I don't want to be the token minority. Yo, drop the I because there is no I in church and get plugged into a local church, man, and contribute to the edification of those saints through your spiritual gifts. Because as I look at the scriptures, and again, I could be wrong, I don't see any cultural nuances that are mandated for the employment of spiritual gifts. And what I mean by that is they don't have to look like you. They ain't got to listen to hip hop. Uh, they ain't got to embrace the young and unashamed movement. The fact is, if they are a saint of God and God is calling you to be a part of that local work, no matter if it's in the hood or the the burbs are in between. The reality of it is, is you have a responsibility to use your spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given to you for the edification of those saints in that local body. It's about accountability. And accountability is not counting the ability to fool how many people we can. Accountability is living transparent before people, confessing our sin with a genuine heart, not allowing one person to see 30% of my life, another person to see another 30, and then a third person to see another 30 while I hide 10% from all three of them. No, it's about living transparent before um, the people that are close to you and if you're married with your spouse. And that's what I'm telling you, man. It's been so liberating in my walk with God to walk in transparency with the elders of our church, to walk in transparency before my spouse man and I challenge you all to do the same so we're going to stop right here for this first podcast I pray uh, that uh, this has kind of got you like okay uh, this is the this is the way the ministry is going uh, we're going to be trying to put uh, out two to three a week man um, to kind of just stay up on things and to give uh, uh, you know uh, a biblical answer man to cultural issues that people desire to have addressed and if you have a specific issue that you would love addressed feel free to hit me up directly at dahorton at kbckc Dot org, and I would love to address in our counterculture. Let me pray for us before we go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we have had together. I pray that you would again, Father God, uh, use this podcast for your glory. Use it for the edification of the saints and use it for the evangelistic outreach, Lord, to the non-believer. Uh, Father, I pray that the cross would be central to this podcast and that people, Lord God, would just have a desire to get more into your word, not to hear anything that I have to say, but get back to the focus of the scriptures, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, for the whole young and unashamed movement, Lord God. 
God, that we would embrace local churches, uh, whether it's outside of our community, uh, whether we are the only minorities there, Lord, and no one listens to hip hop and they do only hymns. It doesn't matter, Father God, if they're healthy, help our context, Lord, and help our culture to embrace healthy churches, put ourselves under biblical teaching and put ourselves under the authority, Lord God, of, of shepherds in the local church. And may we advocate and be more vocal about our commitment to our local church first before our commitment to our own personal side ministries. Lord, be glorified in all things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. We'll be back later this week. Message marked urgent. Beating up your speakers with the most Christian hip-hop and R&B. This is amazing. Holy Culture Radio.